In this session, we are going to be talking about evangelistic Bible study. All right, so if that interests you, just hang out here. If, uh, if you're interested in something else, Bo Green, what's up, dude? <laughs> All right, well, my name is uh, Pastor Brandon Briscoe. I'm the college and young adult pastor here at Midtown Baptist Temple. And, um, and I teach this every year at Mission Focus, uh, how, how to do evangelistic Bible studies. Me and Pastor Dan Renault, who's probably somewhere talking. There he is. That was good. That was a good. That was a serious intro. Uh, do this class, and it's it's been a lot of fun, and we put a high priority on this. And, and I hope hope by the time we're done today, you'll understand why this has been so significant to us as a church, uh, and as a, and as a fellowship of, of churches. In fact, all of our uh, church plants employ Discovery Bible Method uh, for evangelism purposes. And, um, and really, Bible study is what planted this church, but also uh, is what launched and planted Dan's church in Lee Summit, was just persistent Bible study. And so we really do believe in it as a tool for reaching the lost, and so we hope that that's conveyed today in this session. Now, um, a lot of people traveled here by plane. I know a lot of people drove. I don't know about you, but when I'm on an airplane, I often make an attempt to evangelize. And I don't know if this got passed down from the old timers, but I, there's just a lot of people, I think, that are very intentional about when they're in confined spaces with other people, making an attempt to build a relationship, you know, in, in that brevity of time, and with the hope of, of sharing the gospel. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is like what good Baptists do, right? You're, you, you build relationships, a lot of the times you don't realize it, but you're just looking for a transactionary, you know, I don't know, you're looking for, to get your wings or something. Um, but it's the right thing to do, and, and a lot of us do it based on conviction. We're in the line at a grocery store, or we're, we're someplace, and we're going to be around people. You're looking for an opportunity for what we often refer to as confrontational evangelism, right? And that's basically just the idea that you want to share the gospel with someone in a very short, brief period of time. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you, you're kind of sweating. You know that feeling? You've got that pit in your stomach, and you're talking to the Lord, and you're saying, Lord, I know that there's an opportunity here. Would you please use me? And a, a lot of times uh, that, that comes to fruition. God can use that mightily, uh, and, he sh and, and we should be praying for those opportunities but I have to say that the effectiveness of confrontational evangelism is in the quantity of people that you can impact, right? Uh, because the relationships aren't deep, you have to have a ton of these interactions before you can see fruit. And there's certain personality types and giftings that are really good at this, right? Uh, where they're sharing the gospel all the time, and, and, and if they share the gospel 40 times, someone might come to know Christ. All of us should be doing this. Some people are particularly gifted at it. And it, what it does, it really, if we're going to see fruit in these short, brief interactions with people, we have to do it a lot. 
Yeah? Are you with me? Is everybody following me, me, me this morning? Okay. You've got to do a lot of this. And you should do a lot of it. Uh, but the, the quality of those interactions tend to be somewhat shallow. And they don't tend to have a long shelf life. In other words, on the airplane, this person is from Akron and you are from Kansas City. And you may exchange numbers. It might even go as far as a couple of text messages where you try to plug them into a church after they come to know Christ. But it's not, it's not like that person's going to become your disciple in most cases, right? That's, that would be a very rare instance. Those interactions are brief and then they're gone. They're fleeting. And there's not a whole lot of depth. <clears throat> so we know that evangelism is the presenting of the gospel with the intent of seeing people converted from darkness to light. And the hope that truth will come alive in the heart and the life of another person. And we know that there are many methods of evangelizing the lost. And so the very first thing I want to do is I want to preface our time together by saying that Dan and I are not advocating that this is the only method, right? Is that whatever methods that God is using in your life, right? Whatever you're called to do, whether it's uh, you know, you're, you've got a basketball. I heard that, that in Columbus, some guys were playing basketball with the hope of evangelizing. Do that, right? Do that. Build those relationships. Share the gospel. Uh, whatever it is that God's calling you to do, you should do that. And we're advocating for that and we're for that. What we want to present to you is something that we've found to be particularly effective because at the very center of it is God's word. And God's word is the most effective thing. Right? It has the power. Right? It is the thing that divides a man's flesh from his spirit. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of, the Lord, of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's an incredible thing. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We believe that the Bible, we collectively in this room believe that the Bible is the answer, right? It is the, is the answer for people's needs in terms of salvation. It is the answer for people's problems in their lives. It is the, th it is the cure. It is the healing. It's, it's the thing that that brings people out of all types of darkness and deception. It is the light. We believe that. And it has the ability to undo men. You don't. You're, you're, the quickness of your speech in those sweaty, awkward moments on the airplane, your, your ability to say the right thing, to be measured in your speech, to be clever enough to have the right response, it is not contingent on any of that, right? Whether or not a person comes to know Christ. So I have to believe, based on Hebrews 4.12 and, and what I know to be true about God's word, I have to believe that the more that someone is exposed to scripture, the more likely they are to get saved. The more, the, the more time the, 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 the light is shed into the darkness of someone's life, 
the, the, the less likely they are to dismiss it and to walk away. It becomes compelling at a certain point. The conviction sets in. The light exposes the falsity of who they are. And they, and they come to a place of belief. And the more they're exposed to truth, the more likely they are to succumb to the compelling message of the gospel. Amen? And so Discovery Bible Method is an evangelistic form of Bible study that puts the burden of the gospel proof on the exposition of Scripture over time rather than on a fleeting moment in the airport. You understand? Now, another, before we pray and we get into the depths of it, I want you to understand what we're up to here uh, so that you can have an idea of where we're going in terms of the trajectory of the next three days. But another virtue of Discovery Bible Method is the sustaining effects of evangelizing while walking through God's word. You know, sometimes you'll hear the saying, um, you keep them the way you catch them, right? I don't know if you've heard that saying before. But, um, but here's an example of what I mean by that. If your church is, is um, using event-based entertainment to reach the lost, then, then you're going to probably have to entertain as a lifestyle and a culture of your church in order to retain the people in your church. Right. In other words, how you catch them is how you keep them. Right. And so people that you win that way, they're going to be constantly looking for that next entertainment high in terms of the culture of your church. But if a person comes to know Christ over weeks and months in studying the Word of God in a Bible study in someone's home... And it establishes that the word of God is the authority of their life. How much easier is it for them to transition into a discipleship relationship, recognizing that the only thing they truly need is the word of God to change them? And so the beautiful thing about the Discovery Bible Method is that if you win something, uh, someone, someone to Christ over months of study in the word, then guess what? You just flow right into body life. And you flow right into discipleship. And the thing that they become hungry for, the thing that they're addicted to, is the honey of God's word. And that's what you want. And so that's another wonderful thing about it. You know, confrontational evangelism, you pose the risk of losing track of that person as easy as you ran into them. But discovering Bible method establishes relationships sourced in God's word. And, um, and so what it does is it produces people who are hungry for God's word over time. Now, what do, what do we want to expect from the next three days? Okay? The first thing is this. So we got three days together. The first thing is this. We are going to learn a construct for Bible study that we refer to as Discovery Bible Method. All right? And it is just a structure. It's specifically formed. Right? It's got steps to it. It's got outlines. I'm going to teach it to you. Uh, I hope it's not boring. Uh, I, I hope it will be impactful. Uh, but we're going to talk about this construct. Tomorrow, we're going to actually have a, a class. We're going to do a workshop together. So once we've learned about this, tomorrow, we're going to break out into small groups. And there'll be people leading small group Bible studies in this room who are very familiar with this methodology so that you can get a taste for it in action. And you can experience it for yourself. And it'll make more sense in terms of how you apply it. Okay? Because a lot of times we've done these sessions and we haven't done the workshop. And I'll get, I'll get phone calls and text messages for months afterward, people wanting reassurance that they're doing it the right way. 
And so we, we figured this year that we should just do a workshop. That way people can, can ask all the questions they want and want in real time. And then the third thing that we're going to do is we're going to present you with what I would refer to as a curriculum. And Dan, Pastor Dan Renault of Living Faith Lee Summit is going to talk to you about creation to Christ, uh, which there are many forms of, but it's essentially a way of walking through the scriptures in Bible study. And you can do that in a small group setting, and you can do it in a one-on-one -on -one setting in your workplace or at school. But the goal is to get someone from the creation of the world Okay, establishing who God the Father is, the triune God, what he's up to, what his agenda is, and then walking with God through the scriptures to the monumental resurrection of Jesus Christ and the opportunity for us to receive him. And so Dan is going to speak about the, uh, the value of that, and he's going to talk about that curriculum that we often use to evangelize the lost in our fellowship of churches. Okay, cool. So that's my intro. Are you ready? We're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to be with us. Uh, there are some blanks on your notes. So not a ton, but a handful. Um, but uh, stay with me. I think by the time we're done with this, what my hope is, is that some people in this room uh, would recognize that there's value here. And all of us are already doing Bible studies, right? A lot of us have our community teams or small groups, and we're already meeting. We're doing Bible study Maybe we just need to make some tweaks in the way that we approach it uh, and, and adjust some things so that those spaces are conducive for bringing lost people in. And if that's the only thing that you change, man, I feel like that's victory. Um, but some of you, some of you are going to plant Bible studies and you're going to start from scratch and, and God's going to use you and we're going to hear testimonies of that even today. So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to be with us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, you are wonderful. You're wonderful to us. And so far, I mean, just the last 24 hours have been so rich that I have to, to confess, Lord, that you are already rocking my life. And um, you're, you're, you're working things out in me. And I'm so grateful for it. And um, Lord, I, I would just ask uh, that my heart not be so stirred and so distracted with what you're doing in my life uh, that I am distracted from, from preaching this and teaching this the way it ought to be taught. I need your spirit to convey exactly what needs to be conveyed right now. And so, Lord, would you give me the, the, um, the poise necessary and the soberness of mind to give something that is of use, a tool that's of use to these people who desire to serve you and to know you, and to evangelize and to preach the gospel to everyone that they know. Lord, I, I pray that, that what we do today and tomorrow and the next uh, would be useful to them and that they would find profit in it. Uh, help us, God. In Christ's name, amen. So we know that methodology... Yes, you want to... This was not... Uh, we printed some extras. Some of you guys already have the full sheet, but when we printed extras, they, we missed... They, like, they stopped... Point one and the chunking section. So if anyone is missing like page two, I have that right now. So I'm so sorry. Dude, you're all right. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, we want everybody to have the notes. Okay. So yeah, if you, and if you're missing anything at any point, uh, just stand up and go to the lobby. They're going to have extras out there. If you rec like realize suddenly that you're missing something, just go get it. It's pretty informal. Okay, so we know methodology is nothing 
compared to prayer, faith, and obedience. We can be stumbling idiots with no methodology, and if our prayer life and our belief is right before the Lord, if our heart is right before the Lord, God, God's going to use us. We know that, right? So methodology is really nothing, but, but, but methodology does play a role. And we know this because we've read Acts, and we, we've watched the testimony of Paul, and we recognize that he had a methodology. And so whether it be that he would enter into a new city and first go to the synagogue and spend time in the synagogue preaching to the Jews and then make his way into the public sphere and, and, and preach in the marketplaces and among big crowds and then work his way into more domestic settings where he was in people's homes and he was discipling. He had a method. Every city he went to, you can see him employing a method every place that he goes. He had a methodology. We also recognize that, that he had a philosophy and a methodology in terms of the way he presented himself. He became all things to all men that he might win some. And so he was willing to shed whatever cultural thing he picked up in this city or that in order to go to a new city and put on a new man and become whatever was necessary to see God use him for the gospel. Our in sample, Paul, had a methodology. We ought to have a methodology. We ought to have a game plan that we work. And so this is one of those game plans because we desire to, might, to, to, to win some. And so in a, in a, I want to say this very first. I want to kind of paint a picture of our world. Uh, and again, I'm a college and young adult pastor, so I'm working with people that are maybe primarily 30 and younger, right? Uh, the bulk of the people that I minister are between 18 and 25, and they live in a truly secularized world, okay? They live in a true postmodern world where they are in classrooms with people who may have heard the name Jesus, but have never actually heard the gospel. They are, they are interacting with people on a daily basis who have never set foot in a church in their entire life, okay? So Christianity is a, com is a completely new thing to so many people that they interact with on a daily basis. And truth is lost on this generation, in a postmodern world, people are living day by day based on how they feel. Okay, so, so if a young person meets with another young person and they, they preach the gospel and they use a confrontational approach, that person is inclined. Based, you guys know how Gen Z is, right? They, they, their truth is their feelings. And so whatever feeling or compulsion of feeling that they have in that moment, oh yeah, I like Jesus in this 10 minutes that we're spending together, and it sounds like a good thing, I will receive Jesus and I will feel better. And I want to tell you that with young people today, there's a great value in, in presenting the truth of God's word over a period of time so that they're convinced day by day, they're rewriting their understanding of what truth is. And there's value of spending time in depth in God's word with a people and a generation who have no idea what truth is. And so I believe that this does have a particular amount of power. And we've seen great fruit from its use in our church. And so I just want to tell you about how we kind of came into Discovery Bible Method as a church. I uh, had the privilege, I was one of the idiots that Sam referred to. Uh, that came with him from Kansas City Baptist Temple. There's a handful of us in the room. 
that are, are, were dumb enough, but we were young. That's, you know, when you're young, you do dumb stuff. And, uh, and you have zeal, and we were excited. And so we came and we planted this church. But the thing that Sam always said is that, that if we're going to plant a church in the city, it will be a church planting church. And that our, our back door will be as open as the front. And so that was, has always been with me as a young man. That concept of doing church was always with me because the goal is to, to disciple and to multiply and to send leaders all over the world. That's always been my perspective. Now, um, I, I worked in youth ministry. I worked with middle school and high school students for almost 10 years here at Midtown Baptist Temple. When Dan left to go plant the church in Lee Summit, I came into his role in the college and young adult ministry. And um, I had a great team of leaders when I came in, and uh, I was very excited about working with them. But one of the things that I realized is that there was some lack in terms of people's evangelism or there, there wasn't a lot of going to the lost, right? That was just the phase of life that they were in. They had gotten discipled and they were excited about learning God's word. But how to get to the lost, that was kind of, you know, they didn't know what to do. And so when I came into the ministry, I, I almost immediately recognized I needed to apply the, the philosophy and the belief that Sam had taught me to the college and young adult ministry. Uh, because this is a body of believers, I'm their pastor, and I want to make sure that that DNA works its way down into even the fellowship level. And so what we started doing immediately was dividing up Bible studies with leaders and strategically planting them in the city with the heart of using Discovery Bible Method, evangelizing the lost, seeing Bible studies grow. Then we train up leaders in the midst of that, we divide them, and then we do it again. Okay, so in, in a five-year time frame, that's how long I've been in the college and young adult ministry. This is not me. This God has done this. Okay, I'm just speaking the facts, all right? These are the facts of what God has done. When I first came into the ministry, there was essentially six or seven Bible studies, okay? And using this approach, again, it's not the methodology. I can't tell, you know, if I could just talk to you about the the hours and hours of prayer that our leaders in the College of Young Adult Ministry, the, the time that we spend just before the Lord asking for souls, okay? But I didn't, they didn't ask me to come talk about prayer, okay? But I want to tell you, prayer and faith, again, that is the answer. Believing the Lord for incredible things, that is the answer. But God has used an open Bible in our ministry to go from six Bible studies to 34 in five years. And I have a desire to see... Our leaders in the ministry plant 10 more this year, so the hope is that by the end of this year, we'll have 40 Bible studies throughout the city, and my heart is to see 100 Bible studies planted in the city, mixed with lost people, babies in Christ, and leaders in the faith, a mixture. Okay, a successful Bible study is a Bible study that is comprised of lost people the same way it's comprised of saved people. That's the way that we see it. And so this idea, this philosophy of church planting, we just overlaid that over the college and young adult ministry, and we used Bible studies as these kind of microcosms of the church uh, to train up leaders and to, to, um, uh, to evangelize the lost in different areas and then see them divided and multiplied, and God's actually done that. So I want to talk for a minute about the values of this perspective. And the first one is this, planting Bible studies 
extends your church's reach into smaller communities, neighborhoods, and workplaces. Okay, we know that your local church, right, it's a big group of people. Maybe it's 50, 100, 200, or more people. And it's hard to mobilize 200 people. Sam always refers to it as herding cats, right? It's, it, pastoring people is like herding cats. And uh, I don't like cats. I haven't spent a lot of time around them, but I've always took that as meaning it's difficult, okay? And, but what you can do is when you get people in smaller groups, you can give them an initiative that allows them to go into places that you yourself or the church at large can't get into. And that might be a, a neighborhood. That may, it might be a block in your city, in your town. It might be, in our case, it's campuses. We, we have a lot of Bible studies on campuses. At UMKC alone, we have five men's Bible studies. We have five women's Bible studies. And we have three or four Friends of International Bible Studies, I believe, if those numbers are correct, someone... I'm losing track, which is kind of beautiful, right? Um, and, and so this allows us to... We meet on every day of the week. We can meet at different times of the day. We can meet when students are, are, are having lunch on campuses. We can meet in the evenings when students have downtime. But we're, our job is to go in and, and to penetrate particular spaces within our city with the hope of leading people to the Lord. And, and doing Bible study this way is, uh, allows us to do that. Bible study is a way of dropping missionaries into environments with knowledge uh, that, is, that is intended to germinate. Okay? The next thing is planning Bible studies makes owning the mission tangible and accountable in your church. Okay? It, it, it makes, it makes the, the mission real. Okay, so we come to a conference like this and we hear about people going to places like Pakistan and Vietnam. And those become very abstract ideas. Now, we feel a lot of feelings about those things. We rah rah, we get excited. Uh, we have the ability to look at the people on that screen that are suffering persecution and acknowledge, mentally ascend, that that is difficult. We might shed a tear, but it is abstract. Right? People come into the, uh, to the sanctuary every Sunday. They sit down in the pews and they're presented with truth. But in that moment, it's intellectual and it's abstract. It's not until they get outside of the church walls that that information is allowed to become real. So what we've done is we made Bible study a space for missions work to be real. I can tell a 21-year-old who's been through discipleship and been through D2, someone I've trusted and has been faithful, I can tell that young person who doesn't know how to pay bills, doesn't know how to live on their own, but they love the Lord with all their heart, and they've got an understanding of how to divide this book. And I can tell that young person, look, I need you to gather a group of people, and I need you to pray. And I need you to devote your life to Rockhurst campus. And your job is to win souls there. And I want you to give it your all. And if you need anything, you come find me. And that 21-year-old in that moment is suddenly the mission has become real for them. It's become alive. They can taste it. And it is the beginning of a work that by the time that young man or that young woman is 40, who knows what God is going to do with them? They might be in Vietnam. They might be in India. They might be living that lifestyle that once seemed abstract. They got a taste of it on a college campus once upon a time when they were 21 or 22 years old. It makes the work real for them. And we want Bible studies to be the space, the laboratory, the safe space where they can begin to do that work. 
The next thing is planning Bible studies prepares growing leaders to become shepherds. All right, so the way that we do it is we divide these small groups. They grow, maybe they grow to 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 people. We see God at work. There's a, we've established a right hand or an associate Bible study leader that's been trained up in the work. And so then we have the liberty to divide that group, pare it down to four or five, and then take that group and put that group over here. And then this person starts fresh and again and again and again, and it begins to multiply. And in doing so, I, as the pastor, can tell the young people that I minister to in my, in my fellowship, hey, you are a pastor to these people. They're going to come to you for counseling. They're going to come to you for prayer. They're going to need you for friendship. And they're going to listen to you, and you're going to have the ability to provoke them to greater faith. And that's your, you are going to be a pastor, not the pastor. You're going to be a pastor to them. You're going to shepherd them. And people learn what it, they, they learn what it means to shepherd the flock of God in a small and, again, safe laboratory context. And I've seen this develop leaders time and time again. And so that also allows me to be the shepherd I need to be, okay? Because then I can focus my energy on shepherding the shepherds. Okay, so one of the things that we do, our Bible study leaders, here's the prerequisites. They might be different in your church. The prerequisites in Kaya is that the young person that is going to be a Bible study leader needs to have proven that they're faithful to Bible study. They need to have been through D1. They need to have been through D2. And they need to have taken introduction to biblical counseling. Okay, through LFBI. And the reason I want them to take introduction to biblical counseling is because this is selfish on my part, because I want them to be able to counsel all of the messes that those young people are bringing into our fellowship. I need them to know God's word. I need them to be familiar with the truth of God's word so that they can apply it to the psychological issues that all of these young people are dealing with that come into their Bible study. It relieves me of the burden of knowing every single name and knowing every single single situation. And so I get to watch my little shepherds shepherding. And there's, there's, look, I'm going to tell you, I take the greatest joy in watching the, the leaders that I get to lead minister and have fruit. I love it. But this is where they get trained. Now, listen, I'm talking about this in the terms of, terms of college and adult ministry because that's where I'm at. This can apply to any church, any age group, anywhere, anytime, right? 40, 50, 60-year-old people meeting in a Panera Bread, right? That's where old people go to meet. It's Panera Bread, right? What's better than soup inside of a bread bowl? <laughs> There's nothing better than that. So that when you're done with your soup and you're done with the meal, there's nothing there. There's no plate. There's a real sense of accomplishment when there's nothing left in front of you. Everything has been consumed, right? And the coffee's cheap. Um, but the, my point is, is that older people can do this. Even though I'm speaking about it in the context of young people, I want you to understand this applies to any age, in any neighborhood, in any space, and... and, and we, you're never too old to get trained, right? You're never too old to learn what it means to shepherd or have, have the heart of a shepherd or the heart of a pastor. You're never too old. And so 
That's, that's the way we approach this. Now, planting Bible studies also prepares people to plant churches. And, and again, it's back to that end goal. It's back to that bigger, bigger idea. It's back to when we first planted this church. We wanted to be a church that plants churches. And so how do we do that? Well, we take young people that come into our ministry, and we give them small amount of responsibility, and we give them shepherding opportunities. We let them lead for a while, and they learn how to do that. And then we take them, and we go drop them in the middle of Saigon, and say, all the things that you learned over the last few years, just do that again right here. You know, I, one of the things that, that I've, I've talked about, you know, uh, some of you know Brooke Sidebottom. She was an integral part of the college and young adult ministry here at Midtown Baptist Temple. She left to go help plant the church in Boston. She's a very, very precious person to me. And she's a great leader. And um, the thing that we often talked about is that everything that she learned leading a Bible study and to an evangelizing through Bible study, she just needs to do that again and again until she dies. She just, God has made you fruitful in that way. Don't, don't change anything. Let him lead you wherever he wants to lead you, to this campus, to that campus. Just do this again and again and again and again and again and again and again until you die. And you will have a wonderful judgment seat. And so, so what I want to tell you is that this, this isn't just a methodology, really, at the end of the day, this is what we do. If we're going to be church planting churches, I do believe that this, at least this idea, is integral into the way that we approach people. So what do we, we mean when we say Bible study? That's the next thing I want to talk about. Because Bible study, you know... Um, you know how when you talk with a Calvinist, you use the same words, but none of them mean the same thing? Like you think you're on the same page, but really they mean the exact opposite of what you mean? <laughs> the same thing is true when people use the word Bible study. Bible study means, it, like, it can mean anything, right? It, like people use terms like small groups, Community groups, cell teams. You might have some cool name at your church, like Ignite Groups, right? If you're like real cool and you've got a Gen X pastor, right? <laughs> he wants cool names on everything, right? Uh, but who knows what those mean? I mean, it could mean that you're like doing Beth Moore studies on Wednesday nights. Uh, it could mean that you're just coming together for fellowship or prayer, we don't, what are people doing in these groups? We don't really even know. And in fact, a lot of the things that we call Bible study aren't really Bible study. I mean, there are, I know, I mean, maybe, I, I, maybe this is your church. I don't know. I'm not trying to put anybody on blast. But I know that there are churches where small groups come together and then they hit play on a YouTube video for 20 minutes. And then they have a conversation about their opinions about what someone said. And uh, I don't know. I don't, not... I don't think that's, that's Bible study. So when we say Bible study, what we mean is an open book. People, dis, people discussing their views on a passage is not actually Bible study. That's private interpretation. And so when, when you open the Bible, you know, the first thing you need to understand if we're going to talk about Bible study, let's be, let's be honest with one another. What are we talking about? If you're going to sit down and say that you're doing Bible study, that isn't an opportunity for a circle of people to, to, to go around and say what they think yeah. that God's saying. 
which is really just their opinion and is really just them justifying the thing that they want to justify, right? Now, what we're talking about when we're talking about Bible study is we're talking about the exposition, the exegetical exposition of God's word. And you can do that in a Bible study. You can do that. And that's what we mean. And so I, one of the things that I always talk about with our leaders is that there's certain things that we need Bible study. When we do Bible study, we, what we need Bible study to mean. And I believe that this, this is where your notes really start picking up. So what do we want Bible study to mean? I, don't, I think these are in the notes. I hope they're in the notes. First of all, it needs to be Bible-centered. Every Bible study should have a culture that asserts the Bible is the final authority. And you will have people that come into your small groups that do not do, they might say that, but then practically they're not actually, the Bible isn't their final authority. We run into that a lot, especially when we're talking about Christians that are coming from other churches, other backgrounds, they're coming into our Bible studies. And again, they're, they're just applying what they know and they don't see the Bible as their final authority. They see pop psychology generally as their final authority or whatever the culture is saying is their final authority, whatever political tribe that they're a part of, that's their final authority. And they're coming in and the Bible is just some sort of supplement to whatever presupposition that they're bringing to the table. We can't have that. (laughs) Can't have that. Our Bible studies have to be Bible-centered. 2 Peter 1, 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that have called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Every Bible study leader should be equipped. This goes back to the equipping of the Bible study leaders. They should be equipped to support a proper proper biblical dispensational hermeneutic. They need to be trained that far because we don't want them to get off base, Right? You know, we just got, you know, you got a faithful person, but they don't know the word of God. You don't make them a Bible study leader because they can't lead people in the Bible, right? They might be a good person. They might be a great servant. You might have a lot of feelings about them and you might like them as a friend, but you got to put those things aside. We make people who understand how to divide God's word, Bible study leaders. And that makes, that ensures that the Bible will remain the center of what we're doing. The next thing is that it needs to be prayer-centered. Every Bible study should understand that prayer is critical because we're there to watch God work. We want to see God save people. We want to see God sanctify people in the context of Bible study. That's the work that we want God to do. And so we pray together. Our Bible studies have WhatsApps where they share prayer requests. Okay, they pray for souls there. They, 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 they're discussing what God's up to and they're praying for one another. They communicate that way. Our Bible studies at the beginning of every, of every session, they pray together. At the end of every session, they pray together. Prayer has to be an essential part of what we do. Why? Psalm 127.1, except the Lord build the house. We talked about this several times today. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wake, uh, waketh but in vain. We need God to build Whatever it is that he wants to build in our Bible study, we need him to do that work. We're not going to get it done through cleverness. The next thing is that it needs to be leadership development. Okay, that's why I meet regularly with the leaders of the Bible studies because I have to devote energy into them 
And I've got to teach them how to counsel hard situations. I need to, I need to, to meet with them, to, to talk to them about how a shepherd sees their flock. I need to meet with them so that we can pray together about what God's doing. I need, for, I need to make sure that they're right so that their Bible studies will be right. And so I focus a ton of energy on leadership development because of this right here, right? My job is to devote time and energy to faithful men so that they can do the same thing also. Okay? The next thing is that Bible studies need to be accountable. Every Bible study should be a loving community with a culture of empathy, encouragement, and exhortation. And I think that Discovery Bible Method and the way that I'm going to explain it to you promotes that. Okay, but, but it has to be accountable. And this is the way that I talk about it with our young people. At the end of every DBM, we'll get to this later, but at the end of every session, it ends with everyone sharing what God has shown them personally, devotionally, from God's word that night. So they verbalize with their mouths what God showed. God showed me that um, I'm really, uh, I've been disrespectful to my boss at work. It could be anything. God showed me that my prayer life isn't right. God showed me that I need to repent of this sin. They verbalize that. Then everyone in the group knows about it. And they can hold them accountable to what God is showing them from his word. There has to be accountability because sanctification requires accountability. God gave us a church. God gave us a local church that we could sharpen one another. And he gave that to us so that I can say to you and you can say to me, hey, remember that thing you said a month ago that you were saying God was working on your heart? Is God still doing that in you, brother? You know that thing that you were saying that you needed to quit or that thing that you were repenting of? How's that going? I care about you. I love you. I, I, I want to know you and I want to pray for you. How are you? How is that going? That's accountability. And so every small group has to have accountability, a part of the culture. And then the fifth thing, the thing that we want to focus on is evangelism. Every Bible study should be an invitation to the lost to engage truth in love. We're inviting lost into Bible study. Romans ten fifteen. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. If we, if we, man, okay, so here's the, here's the thing. I know that your Bible study is real cute, right? And God, you know how guys' Bible studies are historically. They're like, guys' Bible study. You know, when we hang out on the weekends, we watch UFC. <laughs> That's what we want to do. And they're bro, it's bro time, and right? And, and when you study the Bible, it's like, it's like yeah, man, bro time. And, 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 and the girls' Bible studies are different. They're quaint. They're cute. Yeah, I, I assume uh, <laughs> hangout time is like craft night, tea parties. I'm probably missing the boat. And you've got your thing that you do, right? And you've got a culture. And the problem with culture is that cultures become insulated, and we get comfortable and we get locked in and we've got our people and we shut out the mission and we forget what God wants to do. See, God wants to make your Bible study, he, want, he wants to make your Bible study a place where lost people can come and hear about the glory of God and repent of their sin and fall on their knees and everyone in that group gather around a person repenting of their sin and coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ 
and your Bible study will have birthed a child of God. And you will nurture that child as a group and you will love them and you will watch them come into discipleship. It is one of the most beautiful things that you could ever see. And we have, we have had the privilege of seeing that time and time again. Now, before I'm doing good, before I get into explaining how to do Discovery Bible Method, I want to invite my friend, Ari Dutton up, who sat in this class, what, three years ago? Two years ago. And I think you guys were sitting like right here, okay? And they sat through this class and Ari went home and started a Bible study. And I want her to talk to you about how that went, okay? Here you go, sis. Thanks. Okay, can y'all hear me? Is it loud? Okay. So, do what? Okay. Okay. Is that better? Okay. Um, so I'll try to be loud. Sorry, I've been recovering from sickness. But I'm Mary Dutton. Um, some of you may know my husband, Austin. He is very good at making himself around to places, talking to everybody. I'm not as good as that, so normally I'm hiding in the shadows. But uh, so. Um, we're from Moulton, Alabama. I'm sure many of you do not know where that is, but it's uh, about 20 minutes from Decatur, um, where Joe McKeg is out of. And so we came here for the first time two years ago. And so I sat um, in Brandon and Dan's uh, evangelistic Bible studies, and I was just absolutely burdened um, when I left here that that was something that I wanted to incorporate with the ladies um, that were in my community. So it looks a little bit different. Malton's got about 3,500 people um, living in the city limits. So it is a little bit different. And so I learned that I do have to adjust um, a little bit because I'm not on a college campus, you know, just reaching out to new folks every year and all the time. Um, but I reached out and I live an hour away from where we go to church at that moment um, in January 2020 when I kicked it off. And so I was nervous thinking that folks wouldn't want to come. Um, it was close to where Austin uh, went to work at that time, where I went to work, um, but we're an hour away. And so I said, you know what, God, I'm just going to trust that you're going to bring folks and that people are going to be willing to drive an hour. And I'm going to have it in my home. I'm not going to make it to where I've got to drive an hour. I'm going to invite folks, and if they want to come and drive an hour, then that's what I'm going to do. And then I also use it as a way to reach out to those that I worked with and, and those in my community to try to reach out um, some there. And so it started off, and we had about 10 to 12 ladies um, that were coming faithfully. So I was very excited about that. They were willing to, to drive, and some of them were just, um, just coming as groups and able to do that. And so uh, I had a lady that had been coming to our church for a few months, but I didn't really know um, very well, and her name was Katrina. And so she had just moved from Wisconsin. Um, I don't know how they really picked Alabama. They said they for sure wanted to get away from the cold, and so that's where they come, and they came to, to Moulton. And so she had just started coming to our church at the end of 2019, and a friend had invited her to our Bible study. And so she said she had started learning um, from me and from Brother Randy about salvation. And that was something that she hadn't really heard. Um, her family had just started going to church when they came uh, to Moulton because they just wanted to start their family off on the right way because they'd had some issues in Wisconsin. And so she said she heard about it but knew the things that she had done in her life and thought, you know what, like salvation's for a lot of people, but it's not for me because I'm not good enough and I've done a lot of things in my life. And so she said then one night 
she heard me speak, not at the Bible study, but she had gotten connected with me at the Bible study, and she heard me speak at our church about the things that I had done in my life. And she said, wow, if she can save her, she can save me. And um, she didn't get saved in Bible study. She didn't get saved in church. She got saved when she was about to go for surgery. And she said, she really sat down and thought to herself, man, Katrina, where would you go if something bad happens in this surgery? And she said she knew it would be hell. And she said she asked if she could have a moment. She went to the bathroom, and she went to the throne on the throne. (laughs) And she said she asked Jesus into her heart there. And so from then on out, she has been faithful in Bible study. She's really gotten engaged in our church. She's serving, and now she's getting discipled uh, by me. And so that's really been a blessing um, out of our Bible study. And then one more story, if I can just tell that too. Um, So a year after I started that Bible study, my husband was a nurse when we came here. And at Mission Focus two years ago, I was called to plant a Bible study, and he was called to ministry. Now, we had no idea what that looked like as a nurse, and so we just trusted and went on. And so then a year later, he ended up becoming the youth pastor at our church under uh, Brother Randy. And so we knew that was time for us to stop being an hour away and really get connected in the community that we're trying to reach. And so we started trying to look for houses. And so in April of 2021, uh, we moved back to Moulton. Now, if I'm being honest, I've always wanted to live in a big city. I am not really about small town. I'm spoiled because I, I don't have many options to eat in Moulton. So I knew that that's where God had called us to be, but I was really thinking, okay, God, you're going to have to help me through this because I'm a spoiled materialistic, all about what I want when I want it. And so you're going to have to help me adjust to the small town life again. And so um, through that, I had my first Bible study at Moulton. So the ladies are not longer, they're no longer having to drive an hour. They're just able to come to my house five minutes away. And so right before Bible study, literally an hour before, I had a 15-year-old girl who was a part of my Sunday school class ask if she could come join us. And I thought, well, you know, God, I was kind of trying to keep this for, you know, 18 through 30s and, and more keep it like that. But, okay, we'll say she can come. She shows up that night and gets saved after Bible study. And then she goes home, tells her mom and dad that she got saved. Her mom calls me and says, hey, can I come over and talk to? Her mom comes over after that. And then we're able to talk with her. We figure out that she just needs to get her baptism in order. And she's been living a disobedient life and wants to turn that around. And now she's being discipled. And now I'm mentoring the 15-year-old girl who came and got saved at my Bible study. And I want to just say, too, that when I was thinking through this after Brandon asked me to speak, I was just blown away because I don't think it had registered with me what God had done until I was actually having to put it into words. But it's nothing that I've done, and it's just God continually confirming that Austin and I are just trying to do the right thing and focusing on Him. So that's... You know, that's, I wanted to make sure that someone um, from outside of MBT got to share 
because you know we've got all the testimonies that we're familiar with here, but I wanted you to hear from someone who actually walked away, you know, in vision um, by this time, you know, that we have together now. Um, so thank you. And uh, so if you're like me, you know, when I first started following Christ, I got involved in a Bible study, and we did something that we referred to as SOT. Bo, remember SOT? Yes, very well. And the SOT was really intimidating. SOT was, this is basically the approach. You would um, study something, and then you would come to Bible study, and you would present a five to ten minute sermonette on what God had shown you. Okay, but an 18-year-old, who I didn't know anything that was a very intimidating environment. And I remember over time watching a lot of people come into an environment like that. Uh, it wasn't very conducive for lost people. So you can imagine for a moment being a lost person coming into that setting. And, and these guys are sharpening each other. I mean, SOT sharpened me, okay? It was trial by fire. I learned really fast principles of studying God's word. I picked up on it. It was beautiful. It did a lot for me as a, as a, as a believer but it wasn't really a space where lost people could come in and feel like they could be a part. Discovery Bible Method actually allows lost people to participate in the Bible study and walk away with truth. And so I want you to look at this and I want you to consider how we go about doing Discovery Bible Method. Uh, take notes uh, and then we'll leave some space for question asking at the end. But the very first thing that we need to understand about Discovery Bible Method is that it's facilitated, not taught. Everybody's been in a Bible study where one guy's like in charge, one gal's like in charge, and they do the majority of it. They're the Bible study leader, so that means what they do is they get to preach at you for 30 or 40 minutes, okay? And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about someone who's a facilitator, a facilitator, someone who's a proven leader, who's been faithful, who has been, who's, who's successfully discipled is something that we ask of people a lot of times. We want to see that they have successfully, because here's the deal. How can you invest in a group of five or 10 people when you haven't actually successfully invested in one? Yeah. You know what I mean? So we want people to be proven out. And so these are the leaders that we, that we teach and we, we train them to be facilitators. And so a facilitator's job is to be prepared. So, so how do they lead? Okay, the very first thing, let's say for a moment that we're studying um, Ephesians, okay, because that's what you're going to be studying tomorrow. Was well, the Bible study leader's responsibility to have studied Ephesians thoroughly, okay? They've, they've, they've gone through it. They know it. They know the hard questions. They know to anticipate what are the conversations that are, are going to come up in Bible study that are going to be tough. You know what I'm talking about? Like when the word predestination shows up. What are you going to do with that, right? You've got to be ready, right? You have to understand what the word of God is saying, right? You should have a historical context of the passage. Like, who's, Paul's, who's Paul writing to? Who are these Ephesians? What's going on in his ministry at this time? You should have those things down. And then what a Bible study leader should do is they should know the passage so well that they can develop facilitating questions, okay? What are questions that I can ask the group in order to involve everyone in the process of discovery, because a discovery Bible method is not successful unless everyone is participating in the dialogue, right? So the, the, the job of the leader is actually not to expound, but to set basically the white lines. So if things get outside of the white lines doctrinally, they can kind of bring things back in. But their job is to let people kind of freely move about the passage 
and for themselves study right there in the context of Bible study, study right there and come up through comparing scripture with scripture, come up with truths that apply to their lives. Okay, and so, so the preparation in advance, that's the first thing, preparation. How do we prepare? How do we prepare? This is where the leader prepares for the study. They study the passage for themselves. They, they dissect the passage in advance. And you can see, if you flip, you can see a, 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 an example of a passage that look, the way it might look after a Bible study leader's been done with it. Okay, I think I printed them in color. Oh, there it is, yeah. Okay, but yours is a little more thorough. It's got like questions and, and it's... So what a Bible study leader is going to do is they're going to do what we refer to as chunk the passage. And I'm, I apologize, that's a disgusting word, chunk. But uh, what I mean by that is segment, okay? You're segmenting out the passage into primary thoughts and you're gonna work through those thoughts throughout the, the, the whole of the Bible study. And um, so the Bible study leader needs to be completely prepared in advance. They have to have an understanding of what that, that, that passage says. And so they've got to understand the theme of the passage. They've got to have verse references down. They need to have done the, uh, you know, the word studies over words that are difficult. They need to have compared scripture with scripture and they need to be familiarized with it, not to teach it, but to guide a dis discussion, to, to guide a conversation. Okay, so let me give you an example real quick. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but this chunking and this studying out and this working out the questions, what it does is it allows a Bible study leader to train people how to study the Bible. So you've got people in your group who've maybe never studied the Bible before, maybe they're babes in Christ, and you can actually teach them how to study the Bible by saying things like, hey, this word in the passage is difficult. Can everybody get out their concordance and find a pattern of the usage of this word in English so that we can, from a context perspective, establish the definition? And then people right there in Bible study work together, maybe in teams or by themselves, they scurry about the Bible and they look for patterns in scripture and they're learning, and you can teach people, lost people learning how to use a concordance. Can you believe it? And so you can do things like this. You can say, Hey, you know, this word, the principle of first mention really works really well with this word. Let's all go look for the first mention and let's establish a definition. Hey, you know what? I believe that there's several parables in the Gospels that address this topic. Christ speaks directly to what we're talking about. Let's go hunt those parables down and let's present them together. Okay, so this becomes fun. It becomes, this is the discovery part of discovery Bible method. This allows people to move about the scriptures through as you guide them. And, and then you, you lead them to establish biblical-based concepts. But you can only do that if you yourself are prepared. Okay, you can't do that if you're winging it. And so the Bible, the onus is on the Bible study leader to be prepared in advance and to come to Bible stu study with potential questions that they might ask the group in order to guide them. The cool thing about asking questions, you can write hard questions down and you can write simple ones down. And those simple questions are great for the people who don't know the word very well. And you can involve people who are new to the Bible study by asking them a really simple question that you've come up with, right? Or asking them to read. Like, hey, you know, a great reference, a great verse reference that helps us to better understand what's going on here is such and such passage. Hey, will you read that for me? Okay, and then and putting all of the work on the Bible study. You've already done the work. You've done your study. We're real impressed with you. You're a good leader. Now you want to involve everyone else. 
Because your job as the shepherd is to, see, is to provoke everyone else to faith. So preparation is critical. And I want to point out one more time that prepare, preparation means prayer. And so if you're a Bible study leader and you're not praying for that, that Bible study that week, and you're not on your knees before the Lord asking him to work, well, guess what? He, he's, he's not obligated to do so. <laughs> right? Put it on the Lord. Ask the Lord, God, would there be fruit? This person has been visiting for a while, but they've not yet gotten plugged into church. This is a good, I'm bouncing around a lot. That's what happens when you teach the same thing over and over again. You feel a lot of liberty about it. You just do whatever you want to do. So one of the things I want to point out to you is that, is that in our church, and I've, got, I've made sure that Sam is good with this, there will be people that come to Bible study for six months who've never stepped foot in this church. Okay, Sam, Sam is not asking us to invite people to church. <laughs> That's not how Sam is. Sam wants us inviting people to come sit down and study the word. And so people will come. We've had young men who spent three or four months. You know, I always, I always, Jake is just always at the forefront of my mind. He's become the poster boy for this. But a young man in our ministry named Jake Bush spent, I think, almost four months in Bible study week after week before he accepted Christ. He was an agnostic when he came to Bible study. And now he's a leader in our ministry. Okay? Um, you know, on the flip side of that, Matthew, this gentleman over here in the Carhartt jacket, right? He did Creation to Christ with Dylan Schaefer. And the very first time they sat down and studied Genesis together, he got saved right away. Right? He understood, oh, wait. He understood the picture of light and the correlation between Christ and the truth of God's word and, and, and God actually speaking light into existence and dividing it from the darkness. He got that immediately, and he's like, D what do I do? Okay, but it's the word of God that's doing the work. And so we need to be prayerful. We need to be ready. Now, when you come together in small group, a lot of times we, we begin with prayer. We don't spend a whole lot of time because it is Bible study. We want to spend the majority of our time studying the Bible. But they'll spend a time of prayer, and then they'll come together, and this is the way that Bible study will go. So you ready? Here are the keys to how to conduct it. Um, you begin with reading. Okay, after you've prayed, you read. Each person reads the assigned passage Silently, Okay, so this is going to sound weird to you at first. And it, and, um, but, but I really like it. I'll explain why in a second. So everybody reads the passage quietly in the group. And then, after they've done that, you read it as a group, and you bounce around the room, and so around the circle. So I'll read the first verse, you read the second verse, and we'll go around the room like that. And after you've read through it twice, both in a group context and in your own heart, from there, you begin to realize, oh, wait, I see some things. And then, and then you're ready to have, begin having a conversation about the passage. And so reading through it tw twice, you know, some people are internal processors, right? They do, they'll, they'll pick up a lot by just reading it quietly to themselves. But some people have to verbalize out loud. I don't know if you've ever been in a group like this where you're doing, you're reading around like this, or you did this when you were doing Shakespeare uh, in high school, and it came to you, it was your turn to read, and you didn't know where you were supposed to be at. You're like, oh, wait, wait, where am I? Where are we at? Okay. And then you read. So the popcorn reading like that allows people to kind of stay on track, and they're external processors, and it allows them to focus and work through the passage. And so once everyone is done reading verse by verse around in a circle, then you've completed the passage, and you're ready to talk about the theme. 
And so the leader of the small group will ask them, what is the central idea or theme of the passage? And then make them support that with the Bible. Okay, so, what, so what's the theme of this passage? And somebody will say something, but they need to make sure that they're using Scripture to establish the theme. And so an easy way they might do that is like, hey, I see the word grace three times here in verse such and such, such and such, and such and such. And I, it looks as though the theme of the passage we're in is the grace of God on, on the unrighteous, whatever. Or, hey, I see in this verse, this verse reads blah, 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 blah. And that sounds like the theme is such and such. And they're, they're saying that out loud. And you're asking people, hey, give the theme, provide the theme. And several people might have different things that they want to add to that. Then the Bible study leader from there can synthesize the theme and establish the theme of the passage for the night. All right, but again, it's participation, it's discovery. Now, here's the deal. I want to make sure that you understand. We're, we're beginning to involve people, okay? And that gets messy, doesn't it? Because people are stupid and stuff. And they say things that they want to participate, but not everything that they say is actually of great value, right? We've all been there, right? You think you have the answer to something, you raise your hand, you're like, I got this, right? Especially in math, this was me. Like, yeah, I... And then you say it's wrong, and then you're all like on blast in front of everybody. In front of everybody. So one, one of the things I want to point out to you is we're talking about the theme and we're beginning to involve people in the study is that your job is to be incredibly affirming. Okay? You've got people from all different backgrounds. Some people who've been in the faith for 20 years and some people who just got saved. Everything in between. And your job is to make sure that you keep people between the white lines doctrinally. Okay, so if they're wrong, they're wrong. And you want to slowly guide them into what truth is. Oh, I hear what you're saying. And I get your point. But, but if you look a little bit closer, you might discover that such and such is actually true. But I'm so thankful that you're participating and, and, and you're headed the right direction. Let's keep going. So speaking kindly and gently with people is actually critical to making sure that people stay involved. Correct them gently when they're wrong. Protect, un, protect the group against unsound doctrine. But, but you want to affirm and encourage people because remember, remember you're, you're trying to establish friendships with lost people, right? You're trying to draw people out of the darkness. Um, you, can't, you can't be, um, you know, a typical fundamental Baptist. <laughs> okay, just like, just chill out on that. You know, that gung-ho, like when something's wrong, you got to kill it, right? Be careful with that because we're drawing, we're drawing people who don't know. We want our Bible studies to be evangelical. We've got to draw the lost into dialogue. And over time, they'll learn. They're going to learn. Remember at the beginning of a new book, um, you know, when you're establishing the theme, if you're at the beginning of a new book, you want to make sure that you're providing a historical and doctrinal framework for that book. And so that'll be a responsibility of the Bible study leader is just to say, hey, before we get started tonight, I just want to remind everybody that this is the historical context and this is what Paul's talking about and this is what the letter is about. And so based on that, let's go ahead and get into it tonight. That's a really important thing for helping with the theme. Now, the next thing is dissection, dissection. So you're using the chunked passages, like in the example that I showed you. You chunk things out, and you allow the small group to discuss each of those sections with, uh, within their individual thoughts. So you're looking for repeated words. You're looking for, for phrases, ideas that provoke conversation. And you want to focus this energy on doctrine, okay? Because we know that the devotional application will springboard from the doctrine, right? 
So your job is to make sure that the doctrine's right, and that's why we're comparing Scripture with Scripture, right? Hey, there's principles in the Old Testament um, that we want to look at tonight. So I want everybody to turn to 1 Samuel such and such, and, and we're going to look at this, and we're going to allow this to present us with a framework or help us with the doctrine of this passage. We're going to bounce around Scripture. Uh, did, hey, does anybody notice that this has a, 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 a prophetic context? Can anybody find some verses that help support this prophetic idea that we see right here in the passage? And so what you're doing is you're pushing people to use principles of Bible study. Can you believe that a person that, that like has never even been through discipleship yet could, could know the principles and the keys of Bible study just because they've spent time with you? Isn't that great? And so if Bible study is involved, if everybody's involved, people can learn and they can grow that way. So the facilitator <coughs> must be ready to ask those questions that provoke people to, to, to turn their Bible. You want to hear a lot of this? Okay? You want to, hear, you want to see people clicking around in, in their concordance and their treasury scripture knowledge? You want people playing with the Bible so that we can come back together and we can synthesize those thoughts and study it. Now, you may have caught on, but basically what we're doing is the same thing that a pastor does in their own private study before a sermon. You're just doing it as a group together. And I think that that's pretty powerful, and I think it's pretty exciting. The facilitator should use the study time as an opportunity to explain and model biblical principles. Um, And they need to encourage note-taking. People should be taking notes and asking questions. We want to encourage question-asking as much as possible. A lot of the times, uh, I, I like our Bible study leaders to also give homework to the growing leaders. Okay, so you've got someone in your small group, they're beginning to understand the Word of God, and then you give them homework to maybe study a specific word, and then to come back in the next Bible study and present a study on that word, devote a little bit of time to that. Another thing is, is that making those leaders summarize the previous Bible study. Hey, next week when we come back together, do you mind summarizing everything we covered tonight and just presenting that for like two or three minutes, and then we'll get back into studying that's a really good way of, of drawing other people into leadership responsibility. Then they feel like they have a part. Okay, the next thing is application. So when you've worked through the passage, um, you want to end the time that you have together. You've gotten through all those different chunks. You want to end that time by asking people, what are you personally going to take away from the passage? And this allows people to, 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 to uh, share what God showed them devotionally. And this is that part about accountability. And so we'll go around the circle and people will voice what God has shown them personally. And then we'll spend time in small groups praying about that. Or if we're running out of time, we'll pray over that as a whole. And that's, and that's how a Bible study will end. That's basically the gist of it. Now, I'm, I'm sure that people have a lot of questions. There's a lot of things that I haven't covered. But I want to, before we, we've got a few minutes for questions, but I want to, tell you something real quick that I think is important. And that's this. Bible studies are only evangelical if we want them to be. If we want them to be. And so you have to pray and act like your Bible study is evangelical. (laughs) Like start there. They're only going to become evangelical if you want them to be. If you want them to be a tiny little microculture of the people that you like and you enjoy spending time with, and no one else is allowed to penetrate your little bubble, well, then that's what it'll be. But if you're prayerful and you're intentional and you talk about it with the leaders in your small group and you're discussing, you're saying, we are going to reach the lost. We are going to invite our friends to this Bible study. 
We are going to invite our neighbors to this Bible study. We are going to pray for the lost and we're going to see God move. That's what, that's what we're doing. Well, then that's going to be what your Bible study is. So if you want them to be evangelical, then you need to act and pray like they will be. If you want your Bible studies to be evangelical, you need to invite lost people. Because we evangelize lost people, I, that's how that works. And so if, there's, if your Bible study week after week after week is the same 10 people, and they've all been saved and they've all been discipled, well then, like Jesus says this thing uh, about there being this like white harvest, like ready, 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 waiting for us, but it lacks laborers. And I think a lot of times that we think that the lost people are just gonna fall from the air into a chair into our Bible study. Like they just show up magically. Like God, we've been praying, where are the lost people? Oh, wait a second. No one's invited anybody. Some of our Bible studies will go door to door in their, in, in their neighborhood where they're ministering week after week, month after month for years, inviting people to Bible study. They will hang out on campus for hours. Young people will just hang out and they'll have a little flyer and they invite lost people and say, hey, we do this Bible study on campus. We would love it if you'd come. And they have conversations and they invite people to come to Bible study. If you search Kansas City, if you go into Google right now and you search Kansas City Bible study, the Kaya webpage with the list of our Bible studies comes up. Because we take inviting people to Bible study really, really seriously. We had a young lady this last year who's now in discipleship who Googled Kansas City Bible studies, came to a Bible study, got saved, got baptized, and is now getting discipled. Freaking crazy, right? That's wild. That's wild stuff. But we have to invite the lost to the Bible studies if we want them to be evangelical. And so you need a strategy. Your Bible study needs a strategy for meeting lost people and inviting those dark sinners into your Bible study to come and hang out. And some of them will get saved and some of them won't. Some will visit one time. And look, they want it. people are hungry for friendship. They're hungry for people who will love them, who will care for them. COVID has isolated people and people, you look around and people don't know how to interact anymore. It's incredible. And they are really, really, truly comfortable going home every night and living in front of Netflix and not knowing anybody. And this online therapy has gone nuts. Like you can't even listen to a podcast without getting an advertising, any podcast. Like this was a cooking podcast and you're advertising online psychotherapy to me. Like, whatever it is. Like, there's just online therapy. So people can binge watch The Walking Dead <laughs> on Netflix and then for 30 minutes meet with their counselor and try to figure out why everything's so dark and depressing in their life. <laughs> They're like, that was really good for me. Now I'm going to eat a tub of ice cream and go back to finishing season three. <laughs> it's incredible. This is the way people live. We have to get into their circles and we have to invite them into relationship. And we've got to show them that there are people that love them and care about them regardless of their background, regardless of what they think or what they believe. There's a place for them to come hang out. We don't need to trick them. We're going to study the Bible. It's a Bible study. Come hang out with us. But we have to invite the lost. We have to open the word of God when we meet. 
because it has the power. If you want the Bible study to be evangelical, then don't neglect to study the word because it's going to do the work. It's how the Holy Spirit works is through the cutting of the, dub, the, the double-edged sword. He wants, God wants to use this book to shed light on darkness. And then the last thing is Bible studies are only evangelical. If we express Christ's love, okay? And so your Bible studies should be a hospitable place. Someone needs to set up the chairs, uh, puff the pillows. Is that what they Puff the pillows. Someone needs to bring cookies. If it's a guy's Bible study, someone needs to be, bring a bag of Taco Bell tacos, Okay? And you need to believe that there's an empty spot and there are empty spots in that living room or on that campus or around that table for lost people to come sit in. And when they get there, they're going to know that they're loved because you're going to feed them and you're going to treat them right. And when they don't know the answer to something, you're not going to treat them like a jerk. You're going to show them how to use that concordance and you're going to talk to them and you're going to whisper kind things in their ear and let them know that you care about them and that you want them to come back next week. What are we doing, church? What are we doing with all of our time and energy? I don't care what you do. I don't care if you do Discovery Bible Method. What is the longing of your heart? Something is the matter with us. There's something desperately the matter with us. And we have, a, we have a cancer and it's called Laodicea. Yeah. And if every moment of the day we aren't fighting it, we will not leave this world ready to hear the words of God. And we will stand ashamed This is just one way for us to introduce people to the goodness and the pleasure of knowing God. Does that make sense? So, so, so tomorrow we are going to practice this. So we're going to get in small groups and people who know how to do this are going to walk you through it and you're going to feel real confident and you're going to be able to go back and do this. Whether it's in a one-on-one setting or in a group of two or three or in a group of ten. Okay? And you're going to be real comfortable inviting your lost neighbors to come hang out and to eat gingerbread cookies and uh, it's not, well, the new year will be over and there'll be no more gingerbread cookies. We'll be back to chocolate chip. And it'll be good. And it'll be good. And, And God will use it because God uses an open book. Does anybody, I know that we're done, okay, but we can give a couple minutes. Does anybody have any pressing questions? We'll work through a lot of them tomorrow, but does anybody have any immediate pressing questions that they want to ask? Dan, the guy that actually helps teach this class, good. Okay. Did, did I skip something in the notes? No, just the last page for those of us who maybe have not done this, you have, you know, Ephesians chapter 2. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't mention it. No, thank you. Yeah, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, and you're wanting us to study that maybe even tonight. Yeah, yeah, thanks for, I I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to be in that passage tomorrow. And if you've got time in the next 24 hours and you've got some time with the Lord, um, just pretend that you're a leader of a Bible study for a second. Now, tomorrow you won't be. You're going to just come and play dumb, right? And you're going to just hang out and, and, and 
converse around God's word. But, but that's just a space for you, can, for you to study and maybe practice some of the things that we talked about today. Write those questions down, do a little bit of word studying, and prepare like you were going to lead a small group. And then, and then tomorrow you'll actually learn how to do that and it'll make more sense. It'll give it an easier context. So thanks for reminding me of that. Any, any questions? Questions about DBM, about the way we do Bible studies? Inviting the lost? Yeah, Caleb. Yeah, yeah, I got a quick one. Um, so you were saying that one of the um, kind of staples of Discovery Bible Method is at the end... Yeah. Right, going around the circle saying, what is God showing you? Yeah. Um, and I'm just saying, like, hypothetically, somebody who isn't a believer comes into your study, right? And doesn't know the Lord, doesn't know anything about Jesus, is just checking the Bible out, trying to figure out. Is, is there, like, a tactful way to go about? Because, I mean, I'm just thinking, if you ask that person, what is the Lord showing you? As a non-believer, they might not even understand, like, what that means. Yeah. So is there, is there, like, a tactful way to go about yeah. Doing that, or do you do that for everybody, or do you kind of just open it up for the potential to say, hey, is anybody, you know, getting something from the Lord tonight? No, so, that's a good question. So obviously that person doesn't have the Holy Spirit in them. But we believe, the, our assumption is the Holy Spirit's at work on them. So they might actually have something to say. And again, it might be absolutely clueless. They might be completely clueless. I think God showed me that this was good, a good time tonight. <laughs> I would like to come back. Or, you know, or my takeaway is that I never want to come back and I'm still an atheist. But who's afraid of that? Like, what are we afraid of? So, so I, think, I think you can be tactful. Like, hey, would you, would you like? I know tonight's your first night and you might not feel comfortable. But if you'd like to share, we would love it if you did. And if you don't, no big deal. And then they, they're like, no, I'll pass tonight. And they could do that every night for the next six months if they want. And we won't put any pressure on them. We just want to... In, the thing about facilitating is that you're inviting people into the dialogue and you don't want anyone to feel left out. If they want to exclude themselves, that's fine. Maybe just being there that night was good enough and they've got things that they need to process. But, so no pressure, no pressure really on anything, uh, but we do want to make sure that we're doing a good job of inviting people to participate at the level that they're ready to participate. One of the questions that always comes up I want to mention is the KJV thing. People come to Bible study all the time and they bring their NIV or whatever it is, you know, okay. And, uh, and this, this, there might be difficulty, you know, th there might be difficulty here, you know, they've got their ESV, they've got their, you know, whatever. I, usually it's not a problem uh, in our small groups. All of our Bible study leaders have a, a stack of like eight or nine KJVs with them at their house or wherever it is they meet. And we just say, hey, just for the sake of unity tonight, we want to make sure that we're all using the same Bible um, because we want to be saying the same thing. And if we're all using different Bibles, the words are different, the study will be different. And so if you don't mind, we're just going to use this. This is a gift to you. Here's, here's a King James. This is what we're going to be using tonight. And we're going to be using that in our Bible study. And most people are just completely fine. I mean, a lot of lost people are going to come in. They don't ha won't have a Bible and you'll need to give them one. But if we're talking about people who've been churched and they just haven't been discipled, they might have a Bible that's different from yours. Most people are cool. The one thing you don't want to do is with, most people don't know any better. So you don't need to spend 30 minutes convincing them why they need to use the KJV. Let's let God work that out over time, right? Yeah. This person doesn't even believe in eternal security yet, yeah. right? Or they don't know, they don't even understand what the Holy Spirit is and you're trying to convince them of why they need to use the KJV. That's not the place for that. Um, let's, let's make sure that, that we're just, 
Again, facilitating. So have extra Bibles on hand and invite people to use the KJV. Most people are cool with that. Any other questions? This microphone is so intimidating. Okay, so let's say, hypothetically, mm -hmm. that I'm feeling like I'm supposed to start one at my work. Yeah. Um, I work with both men and women. Yeah. So inviting both is like, I feel like it would be fine. I think a co If it's just like a generic Bible study. I think co-ed Bible studies are fine. Okay. I, I do think that they, my personal opinion is that co-ed Bible studies can sometimes lack intimacy. Or vulnerability and so um, there's oftentimes men don't want to say certain things that they need to say confess things repent of things if they're in front of the opposite sex and vice versa and so it is it does present roadblocks we do there's a lot of our small groups especially in the older adult fellowships that are co-ed and there's value in that too um, I think it's just a matter of conviction I do think um, you, there, there may or may not be problems with a woman leading men over time, yeah, yeah. right? So like, so like at the point that, uh, you know, uh, uh, say a guy that's coming to the Bible study gets saved or decides to get plugged in at the church, then maybe you point them in the direction of a Bible study that a man's, another man is leading. But I think in the absence of someone in your workplace to open the book, uh, there's, there's, no, there's no prerequisite on opening the Bible and, and teaching the Bible in your workplace. Like, you're called to evangelize, you're called to be a light there. I think it's appropriate if it's co-ed, I think it's okay. Um, but you do want, in time, as if someone buys in, you want them to be under the authority of male leadership. Yeah. It's just principally, it'd be wise. Pastor. Pastors can help guide you through that, yeah. Your, your pastor can help you guide you through that, yeah. So when it comes to someone in the group who might be very argumentative, mm. what's like the most tactful way you would deal with that? Yeah, like, that's one of the biggest things that young leaders struggle with is when argumentative people show up. Um, so first of all, those are usually Christians. Yes. <laughs> um, and they want to argue about their pet doctrines or their perspectives. Uh, one of the things that you can always do when you lead a Bible study is remind people what Bible study is about. And so it's healthy occasionally to say in front of the group, so we're going to be focusing our energy on studying this passage and learning what God says. And um, when those peripheral conversations come up, hey, that's, that, what you're talking about is really interesting, and I would love to table that for right now, but let's you and I go get coffee together, and we'll talk about that one-on-one. -on -one. And that way it, it, it keeps the, the Bible study from imploding and getting derailed. And so you avoid that by showing that person love and then deflecting to another night of the week where you can meet with them and talk through those things. But then in those meetings, I want to make sure that we also understand, our leaders understand, that, that if this is a persistent issue, the argumentation, it's okay to invite a Christian who doesn't want to be a part of your church, doesn't want to be discipled, and just wants to work their pet doctrine, invite them to leave your Bible study and go find the one that'll work for them. Because we're an evangelical Bible study that's focused on studying God's word. And, and, and it seems like you're not necessarily, after three or four weeks of meeting, that that's not really your interest. And so maybe you should find a Bible study that, that maybe suits your beliefs. So I don't think that that's a problem either. 
Any other questions? Yes. You guys are hungry, I know. We won't, we won't go much longer. I was just wondering how much success you have with family Bible studies. Well, um, I haven't personally done it, but I will say that the principles that I've learned from doing Discovery Bible Method are that I use them and I employ them. I've learned a lot from it. And so it, it, I, it's hard to separate. You know, in my interactions with my children, we do Bible study together quite often. And I use a lot of the question asking skills that I've learned from teaching, but also doing Discovery Bible Method. I've gotten really good at asking questions. Oh, by the way, do you know who else is really good at asking questions? Jesus Christ. He knows that people learn from question asking, okay? It, it forces them to come to the end of themselves. And I do that with my kids. And so a lot of the skills that I've learned from Discovery Bible Method, I've, I've done. I don't see any reason why if your family just wants to study the Word of God together, that you couldn't just do this as a framework. Oh, inviting other families. So, um, sure, why not? Give it a shot. <laughs> I don't see why it wouldn't work. Um, especially, you know, if you're facilitating and you're prepared for the diversity that families bring, children and the aged, and you've got all, you know, if you're going to have a lot of people involved, then you've got to work towards the, a common denominator. You've got to make sure that you're um, accommodating every type of person that's there age-wise and, and maturation-wise. Okay? Anything else? Okay, well, hey, thank you, guys. And we're going to continue do, doing this tomorrow. I want to pray for lunch. I think that's what we're, I'm supposed to do. And then we'll go downstairs. Oh, go down the street, actually, and, and get food. Cool? Love you guys. If you've got questions you want to ask me face-to-face, -face, I'll hang out for a minute, and you can come down and, and, and speak with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good. You are so loving towards me. You're so gracious towards us. Um, God, I'm so thankful that I have a mission. I'm so thankful that you've given me a purpose for my life. I'm, I'm so thankful that, that I don't have to throw away the resources that you've given me. You've, you've I mean, over the last 20 years, um, what you've invested in me, I, I, I can never thank you enough. And, and I want to give back to you everything that you've given to me. And I want you to use me up. I want you to spin me for your gospel's sake. And Lord, I, I pray that you would give everyone in this room a heart to be spent, to spend and to be spent for your namesake. And Lord, that, that we would want to open it. We'd have a desire. We wouldn't be afraid. We'd be you know, unabashed. Uh, we wouldn't be afraid to open your word with lost people in our workplaces, in, in our schools, schools, in our neighborhood, with our family members, that we would not be afraid and we would trust that even where we're stupid, your word is brilliant and it shines and it shimmers and it covers every question that any person might have. And when it opens, it's like, it's like water to the thirsty and people want to lap it up. And so Lord, I pray that all of us would just trust that your word will do that. And so we would open it and we would invite people. So God, work in us. Bless the meal. Bless our time of fellowship. Lord, your, your love for us is abundant. And so Lord, I pray that, that, that we would enjoy each other and celebrate who you are over the next couple hours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.